This is the Talk Theater in Chicago interview podcast. I'm your host this week, Ann Nicholson-Weber, and my guests are the three cast members of the Den Theater's production of Faith Healer by Brian Friel, which is Brad Armacost, Leah Mortensen, and Cy Osborne. The production is directed by J.R. Sullivan. It opened Thursday night. Um, so in one way, it's a very new production, a baby production, but it has a long history. So maybe the place to just begin is to set that up. And um, Brad, maybe you could just tell us about uh, what went before. Well, we came together in 1995, the three of us, uh, and, and my wife, Cynthia Judge, and uh, at the old Lakeview Jazz Club, renamed the Turnaround Theater because it was a bus turnaround. Um, J.R. Sullivan, Jim Sullivan from Rockford, New American Theater, he founded New American Theater, uh, directed us. Um, but we always like to say that we were co-directors because... Mm. I would say most uh, most of the time we spent in conversation about this play was on the back deck up in uh, up in Andersonville, talking about it until the wee hours of the morning. But we came together, and here we are back again, seventeen years later. Right, and that that production was on for how long, and had a few afterlifes, right? We did. We ran that for four months and could have run it. Uh, Frank Galati once said that we should now we should keep doing it in a small in this small theater mm. and make it like an exclusive French restaurant. Uh, right. Only seats ten tables a night. And you book it months ahead, right? Months ahead. Right. Um, that was done tongue in cheek because, quite frankly, through uh, the cooperation of Martha Levy, uh, Tim Evans of Steppenwolf at that time. Um, they invited us and we were in the upstairs theater as part of their inaugural, uh, subscription series upstairs. Mm -hmm. So four months at the turnaround, we could have run it much, much longer. We, we just decided we had lives and wanted to move on and then, uh, we're so uh, grateful to be asked to do it at Steppenwolf, which uh, which gave it another couple of months' life. Right, at that right. Point. So then, seventeen years go by, and somebody thinks you should do it again. Who was that, and what what? How did it happen? Uh, it, it was it was Brad, but I think <laughs> <laughs> all three of us—not I, I think—I know. Um, over the years, we talked about wanting to revisit it. Um, we were all. I think especially me, um, too young for the roles at the time. And mm -hmm. we're all in a much more appropriate age bracket now. Right. Right. And I think we even knew then that were we to be able to remount it, um, it would be a remarkably fascinating experience right. to, to come to it with um, so many years of life experience under our belt. Maybe we should um, backtrack a little bit. And Sai, would you mind just describing the structure of the play, which is somewhat unusual? Sure. This is a play in four monologues. The first one begins belongs to Frank, who is the faith healer of the mentioned title. Uh, the second one is his wife, Grace, and there's an intermission. The third monologue is Frank's manager, Teddy, and the final monologue is Frank's. Coming back. Coming back. So you as Frank both open and, and close, close yes. the parentheses around around the show. So so one of the things I'm interested in in talking about is how you rehearse when you're never on stage together. In some ways, these are 
as you you characterize in monologues, obviously they are, um, but they add up. They're all the same play. They all need to relate, and you, I would think, need to make decisions as an ensemble, and the director needs to... The beauty of this play is that you can rehearse it on your own. You can do it in the forest preserve, you can do it in your bathroom, you can do it in your backyard. Then we had the opportunity of having the director back in town, and he pulled it all together within a three-rehearsal period. Three, just literally three days. Correct. Wow. So, because you can be totally prepared, you don't have to do scene work. You don't have to. But, but I would say one of the one of the fascinating things from the production seventeen years ago was the fact that even though they are monologues, even though you're out there in isolation, mm-hmm. uh, when people would approach me, you know, five years ago, ten years ago, and they said, "Oh, that that play you guys did," and I said, "Well, yeah, you know, it's it's, it's great. It's lovely monologues." And they said, "Well, no, 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 you." And they would describe scenes uh-huh. where sometimes the three of us were on stage together, <laughs> and you, oh, you guys, you guys should have won ensemble for that. You, you know, <laughs> you never, never on stage, stage right? At the same time. And right. My son and I and my wife were having lunch this afternoon. Uh, my son Evan said, "This is." This is amazing. I could see right. you guys together. I can, I can see, and it's oh, you know, that's that's Brian Friel. That's right. The magic that's of true. Brian Friel. And I would love to add a footnote onto that. Um, Seventeen years ago, in the in the little space, once the play began, we were all stuck there backstage. We could not leave, even at intermission. Uh-huh. And so, by virtue of necessity, we were we would listen to each other, right? Mm-hmm. And what, what, what then happened is that that became part of the experience. I, you know, here we are now and I have the ability to leave, but I don't want to because part of my coming on as Grace is hearing Frank. Right. For 25 minutes and listening to what he is saying. In other words, it is, we are in a way acting with each other, even though we're not on stage together. Right. And, and we're backstage supporting each other as well, just by our presence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, for the audience, one of the... Um, I, I can totally understand, Brad, why people remember it that way, because essentially each of you tells a story, a 20-minute story, more or less, about... Mm-hmm. Teddy's a little longer. <laughs> <laughs> um, about the same incidents yes. from different perspectives with often conflicting viewpoints about what happened. So for the audience, we're sitting there, we hear the story once from Frank, then we hear it from Grace, then we hear it from Teddy, and we're we're hearing things that, are, that line up, that are the same, and then things that are not. And you're all three telling a story that belongs to the three of you. It's events that happened to all three of you. I tell life. friends who see it, I say, I say to them sort of jokingly, try and spot the lies. Right, right. Well, so that was one of my questions. So we're sitting in the audience and, and we sort of take it on faith the first time we hear Frank tell about some of these incidents. Then Grace comes on and for, even from the first moment she opens her mouth, she contradicts some of the impressions that Frank had given us about who she is. Just even by her accent, for instance. Um, then Frank, then Grace goes through and tells the same incidents and there are things that are exactly the same and things that are absolutely different. And then Teddy tells a third version. So, um, so we're trying to decide after this, at once it's, once Grace has shown us that we can't trust Frank, now we don't know if we can trust Grace, right? We don't, we know that there's a lot of subjectivity going on here. But here's my question. Do you need to decide, the three of you as actors, what the real story is or not? I, I, say, I think no. 
We as characters lie because we have to. It's necessity. Mm-hmm. Getting through life. Life is messy and life is never convenient, particularly for Frank. So the lies are lies of omission, overt lies, um, self-delusion, self-lies. Yeah. Self-preservation. Yeah. You know, it, it, then there's that larger question of, well, what are our memories? How truthful are That's we right. in our memories? It's interesting that you all agreed on the word lies because really how I took it, at least it's possible to believe that nobody's lying, yeah. that everybody is telling their subjective truth. They've made it up for themselves right. and they believe it. And this it is, is really true. what they think happened, right. Mm-hmm. I remember talking to a very savvy lawyer during the um, Thomas Anita Hill mm-hmm. debacle and saying, well, who do you believe? And he said, I'm a litigator. I know they, mo- they both could be telling the truth mm. because human beings are so capable of self-deception. So this play, I think, is very much The other a- interesting about thing that. about this play is that it, 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 there's a, a central event that is related. It's teasingly played out, and it climaxes at the end. But it's under the same principle of if three or four people watch a car wreck from different angles, right. you'll have three or four completely different, different stories. Right, right. Different truths. Right. And it wasn't, uh, I had the opportunity to direct the play a couple of summers ago out at College of DuPage, uh, Buffalo Theater Ensemble, and it wasn't until I took off that teddy hat, having lived and right. loved this play for right. close to 20 years, it wasn't until I removed that teddy-centric hat and looked at all three characters simply out of necessity. You can't right. direct the play from one angle. One, right. It wasn't until I had that opportunity that I, I had revelations because everything was seen through Teddy's glasses. Right. And now I saw where Frank, both kindnesses and curses from right. both Frank and Grace, which I had never seen and never felt before. Right, right. Um, well... Now, I don't, I, I have to give a spoiler here. So anybody who's listening who doesn't want a spoiler, <laughs> you can tune out now. Um, I think Frank's character is fascinating because who is he? What we learn is that he's dead. So how has he just spent <laughs> two full monologues talking to us? <laughs> Do you have to decide anything about that? Do you see yourself as a ghost? Do you just not worry about it? Take it as Friel gave it to you. It's a little bit like Sam Beckett's plays. You're not sure exactly where you are when you begin. Right. And in a sense, you're talking to God, or you're talking to every man, or you're talking to yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um, We relate the story as it is played out in the past, and the locations are specific. They're Ireland, Wales, Scotland. But as to where we all are right now... right. Is, and who you're talking to. Is a bit right. of theatrical magic. Right, right. So whether you're in heaven or or not. Um, yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about theater that is storytelling. It's so different. Instead of, for one thing, in the theater usually we're seeing essentially an objective view as the audience. We're mm-hmm. seeing events in real time. We're not taking one character or another's perspective. We're just seeing people from outside, unlike film where there tends to be more, I think, the camera allows more subjectivity. But once you've got one person telling stories to the audience, it becomes much more subjective. And that's what allows lies about the past to be told. If we had seen the events enacted, we would, we would know the truth, right? <laughs> um, so, so 
now your job is much less, well, it isn't to relate to each other because you don't have scene partners except the audience. It's something else. How would you characterize the difference, each of you, of doing this kind of acting as compared to, yeah. Well, uh, there are, there are many branches off of the one tree, but the, 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 the central driving point that JR made to us from the very beginning and continues to remind us is that nobody really cares what we feel about the play, about our story. Mm -hmm. We have to be clear and entirely truthful and in the moment. Otherwise, you won't care what I have to tell you. There's another branch is the descriptive quality, right? I mean, Friel's mm -hmm. language is so lush and and complicated in its imagery. So that uh, another thing that J.R. constantly reminds us of is is details. Don't wash over the details, even though you're out there forever by yourself. Right. The more that you that you really carefully walk through the details, the more you will bring to life the imagery for the audience. Right. Um, it is scary. I've never done anything scarier in my life than this play to be out there on your own. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and it's, it, it's easy to get yourself into a, a tizzy thinking, how am I going to keep them interested for right. 37 minutes? Right. But it's about telling the story. One of the things that JR impressed upon us early on, 17 years ago, he said, yeah, you don't have anyone else on stage, but you do have the audience and you can indeed treat them as a scene partner. Yeah. Yes. Just said. Yeah, absolutely. And when that's you, very helpful. When you can see people leaning forward in their chairs to listen to what you're talking about and you, when you drive your points home to them and talk to them right. as if you've known them for years and years and years, right. you get a back and forth communication even though it's not spoken. Do you um, have the experience of at times, and, and that you haven't been, you've only had one, two audiences so far this time around, but from, from the past, are there times when you get the feeling the audience isn't with you, isn't buying, and what is the effect on you when, if that happens? I think we have more problems than that. The disco music that started off. Oh, yeah, that was too bad. Where was that coming from? Downstairs. Yeah, oh. it, was, it was dealt with, but yeah. after, after a moment. Um, that I, was during Leah's, can't, I, we've had very small audiences. Mm -hmm. We've had, you know, two or three people out there long, long time ago. We, we did it one night just on a whim after finishing a show down the street at the Organic Theater. We had, we had friends in town from Britain who couldn't stay to see the show the next weekend. And we just did it for them. Uh, wow. And, uh, Command performance. Command <laughs> performance that also brought in some people from the cast we were working with as well. Um, so we've done it when there is no immediate feedback from that scene partner that, that right. speaks of and right. JR spoke with. Um, I, I, I don't find that bothers me in the least. No, I, I and I don't I never, feel that I rarely even see that. What what we did see a lot, especially back in turnaround when it was small, is we'd see people listening and closing their eyes to hear it or see it yeah. better. Yeah. And yeah. I remember at first thinking, oh no, right. They're falling asleep. asleep. <laughs> but but but, right. but they would come up afterwards and say, 
or tell us. And um, right. that, that was really, that's an interesting I, it, It's It's interesting because I completely, uh, you know, and, and have since the beginning bought into that Jim theory of the audience as a character. And Teddy, I think, uses the audience right. almost more than anybody as far as, come here, let me tell you a story. Right. Um, but a recurring thing I've just heard in, and we've known, um, it seems, I don't know if we're getting older or it's getting colder out, but that leaning in that Sai just mentioned, and that is storytelling. That yeah. is just that eyes closed, eyes open. But if you're leaning into that story, and this play, and Brian Friel asks you, almost, you have to lean into this. Yeah. This is not an easy play, obviously, from an audience standpoint. It's, it's, it's not a short play. You're not in and out in, in 50 minutes. You, you have to lean into this one. I've had people uh, ask me how long it ran after they watched it, and I told them three hours or two hours and 45 minutes, and they said, you've got to be kidding me. Yep. Uh-huh. So, well, how long do you think it took? And almost universally they say, I'm not sure, but it sure didn't feel like that. that not that long, yeah. Right. But it, it is, I just want to underline what Brad said. It, it, Friel asks a lot of yeah. the audience. Yeah. He says, I trust that you're smart enough to... You know, go on this journey with Stick us, with but us. but yeah. but you guys have to listen and work well, as hard as we do. The night yeah. you were there, someone someone mentioned afterwards it, 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 per size conversation, per size point. Um, he said, uh, "I didn't, I didn't, I didn't even bring up. Was it? Does it seem long? Did it seem long right. to you?" But he said, "We will stay with you till tomorrow morning. That's <laughs> how long it takes to hear the story? Yeah, as long." As you stay within this wonderful, rich area that Ryan Friel has given you, there's lots of highs and lows. There's beautiful textures and colors and tones in there. Right. The minute we see you pop out of that, we, it, it takes us out of that. Mm. And it, and the popping out is when we get too into ourselves. And that right. goes back to you know, it doesn't matter what you feel as a character right. or you as an actor feel about this. Don't comment on that. Don't take the indulgence of... Indulgence, that's the word. Yeah, yeah. Don't take that indulgence. But is is that different from any performance or I any don't think theater? So. It's, but there's some, some reason why it seems more uh, of a temptation to you for this play. Is that right? Because this is a pretty naked play. You know, uh-huh. it's being out there by yourself. Right. You can... The badinage, the back and forth between other characters on stage. Right. You don't have that. Luxury. Right. So, so you can become self-conscious. Yeah, you're, of, yeah. Of course, right. You yeah. should be, you should be treated, treating every story you tell. Right. About. Well, let's talk about what it's like to come back to a text 17 years later. Um, and just start with Sai. What has the hard you? parts are still the hard parts. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I mean that could actually not be true. I could imagine that different things are hard for an actor seventeen years younger and seventeen years older. Well, if you buy the the analogy of a a two year old horse who jumps a four foot fence. Mm-hmm. That fence still exists 17 right. years later. Right. It's the same fence that, that the horse is older. Right, right, <laughs> right. Um, well, some the, of us can't jump that fence anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but there are other ways around it if you're canny, right? <laughs> the words come back, but they come back to you differently because you have 17 years more of life experience. Right. And you can't see the years passing by day by day by day. All you can see is that when you've memorized these roles and you perform them, 
it's different. And you don't know exactly how it's different, but it's richer, and I like to use the term more burnished. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, this this has the feeling, the four of us sitting around here, of some of those nights on the deck uh-huh. <laughs> talking about this, because this this was what it was like. I mean, we would, we would, but two size points, and I'll add my take on coming back 17 years later. We also have the template of a 16-year-old, a 15-year-old, and a 10-year-old, 10-year-old? She's 11. 11. Uh-huh. Uh, we also have that template. Now, of your own children. Of our own children. Right. Which, all of a sudden, you know, my, we had lunch today, and my son said, I've heard about this play. I can't wait to I've hear what known, he had to say. I've heard about this play since I was sentient. Right. Since I was four or five. Right. I've known about this play. I know Sai and Leah. I'm, right. They're part of our family. And, you know, and it's one of those things that I want you to love this as much as I love this. Right. And he did. And so it was like, oh, I can, I can also it, see him going, right. I can also it see was, him going, it's, yeah, it's kind of long, it's kind of talking. Right, and, uh, right. And these are our high together? school kids, you know, and yes. and similarly, Jesse came the other night and Cy and Brad can talk about that. She was overcome with emotion, uh, crying at the end of the play. Uh, and the same thing, she's known about this place and she knows that Faith Healer is another person almost entity in this in our lives. lives. (laughs) Well, you must have been um, worried, or I I could imagine you would have been worried that because it was so amazing then that you try to go back to it and somehow it's not as good and you've wrecked it. Did you talk about that? You you quoted lightning in a bottle. We cannot recapture. Recapture. Right. So did you talk about that? Trying to do that, I think we have had a lot more difficulty. We were trying in every way just to capture that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, there were things that were magic about that, of course. The midnight command performance that we just talked right. about. Um, there were hardships and there's a bucket story, but we won't go into that. <laughs> <laughs> it Are you was sure? It was long monologue. No facilities. Ah, gotcha. Okay, thank you. Enough said. The bucket saved us more than once. <laughs> right. <laughs> because we were... You couldn't go anywhere, right? But yeah. there, were, there were blessings and curses of, of the first time around. Right. Uh, just as there will be and have been um, this time around. But approaching it as, okay, we've got to make this magic. Um, I think you'd drive yourself crazy if you thought of all of the things that could make it worse than that. What we did have was such a clear roadmap with the words. Right. We have such a clear roadmap with J.R. Sullivan, who, who in three good long sessions with us, and that's one-on-one work and, and collective work, um, was as clear as crystal at times, and still is like a, an expectant father. He calls. He called after your performance. The performance. He's in New York now. He went back to New York, York. York. right? Of course, right. he's the artistic director of the Pearl Theater in in New York, and but calls every night. Tells me call it or I'll worry. <laughs> and, uh, and, and Cynthia keeps him up to date on, on the times of each monologue. And not that we're a slave to that anymore. We used to be 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it used to be uh, you'd uh, you'd get hazed if <laughs> if you if you finished thirty seconds longer than you used to. Someone used to keep a clock. I can't remember who it was. <laughs> um, uh-huh. But uh, no, we were. And but but that was such a such an important. It, that was such an important uh, template as well. That yeah. was such an important touchstone. That while it's still important, we are no longer a slave to that, and yet find ourselves within twenty to thirty seconds. Even seconds, if, even really. Even if we've given ourselves permission to wow. be a bit more indulgent or or try something new, right. we still finish right in that twenty to thirty seconds, this way or that way of of that time that we used to have. Did did any of the three of you find that? Um, habits left from that 17 years ago performance that you wanted to leave behind were asserting themselves? I, I was just, uh, I just remarked to to Brad last night, I said, I'm hearing in all of us, and me uh, most prominently because I'm out there, you know, with myself, that things that I had fallen in love with, certain mm. bits, for lack of a better word, I, I'm now realizing, I, I simplify yeah. Simplify, yeah. Yeah. simplify, simplify, right. and I think that comes from getting older, right? Right. Realizing I, that on you the don't other hand, have, I've never seen a bit I didn't. Like. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kept all of them and added one. I didn't show me a new one. <laughs> and what's been your experience about? Yeah, that, all the things that you fell in love with. I, I concur. All those things that you fell in love with, and you thought at the time, "Well, this is a really good way to do this," is not necessarily true. Mm-hmm. Because it's usually a bit more convoluted than it needs to be. Uh huh. So you too have moved towards a more simple. Oh sure, I think my, of, my performance is much different than it was. How it's can you a, describe that difference? Um, there's more of ease, mm-hmm. and there's some more acceptance of this guy, and understanding him. He's a convoluted man, but um, you know, you let him into your heart, and uh, he gives back. Do you um, do you see him differently? Do you understand him differently? Do you say, "Oh, he's not that; he's this"? No, he's his problems are the same. His his central conflict is that he cannot take ownership or understand this special gift he has. He can't figure it out. He can't rely on it, and it drives him insane. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the things that really struck me about the script this time was. Um, how much it's about art and about artists. Um, and the, the premise is that, um, Sai's character, Frank, is a faith healer who only maybe one in ten times actually heals anybody and never, well, he kind of knows when it's going to happen, but he can't make it happen. And I kept hearing Brian Friel sitting at his desk, seeing him sitting at his desk, waiting, hoping for inspiration. And ten times, you know, one time out of ten, you actually write something worthwhile. Is that a connection that you make in your own minds? Or is that just something that I happen to bring to it? Most plays you do aren't very good. That's so true. that's maybe one in ten is is like this. Yeah, right. Yeah, I um, interviewed Peter Hall and he he said the same thing. He said, you know, most theater is just so bad. And it's not for lack of trying. And you can't explain why one thing works and nine things don't. So that's kind of the lot of artists that you're just it, waiting for lightning to it, strike, hoping. It, it, it is. It is in a way because it doesn't necessarily mean that talent will, you know, win out in the end. It's, it right. is this, this sort of magic, like, like Frank's um, gift that a perfect storm of the right people coming together. With the right piece, right, right, right. Yeah. I think so. 
So I want to go back to something that you talked about, which is the feeling of, um, of connecting to your 17 years ago self. You didn't quite say it, but in my mind, that picture was brought up of what it's like to go, to, to say these words, to be in this situation again that 17 years ago was so important to you. Do you, I mean, does, does this experience make you think about yourself back then and uh, connect yeah, to Yeah, I'd say way? about 92% of the time I'm talking to my younger self uh-huh. or seeing my younger self watch my older self. Right. What does your younger self which, say? Which is a bit schizophrenic, but... <laughs> <laughs> so what does the sigh of 17 years ago say about this? I think he's happy with him, with uh-huh. the new iteration. Good. I think he is. That's good. Well, and you're probably all three better actors, which ought to make it a little bit easier. I would like to think so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's interesting that you say that. The older I get, the less I feel as... as co- Maybe it's... I just uh, don't have the cocky confidence right. that you do when you're younger. Right. Um, it's it's scarier in a way to me now. You realize... Yeah, because we, we you realize. You know, when you're young, you're like, oh, okay, fine. I'll do a 40-minute mile on that. And now, it's... Oh, who am I to think that I can do this? Right. And yet you're all doing it. And thank you very much for uh, coming to talk to me about it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 